Welcome to the Tutor Podcast, the only weekly show for anyone who is in the business of helping people. If you're a tutor, a teacher, or a coach, the Tutor Podcast will help you start, grow, and love your tutoring business in plain English without the buzzwords and BS. If you want to make more money and make more of a difference, the Tutor Podcast will be with you every step of the way. Hi, it's Neil here with episode 52 of the Tutor Podcast, the Monday morning shot of uncommon sense for people in the business of helping other people through tutoring, teaching and coaching. Now today and in the next few shows, we're going to be diving into my teaching language toolbox. It's a distillation of influence language, NLP and hypnosis, and it's what I use day in, day out. It's taken a long time to assemble the toolbox, but I promise you, I'm going to give it to you as fast as I possibly can so that you can have more impact and more influence with your students and your clients and just have an easier time along the way. It's a lot of fun. Let's get cracking. So to start with, I'm going to kick off with the VACOG model of language. It's uh, distilled from NLP and I found it massively useful for ducking the barriers of people's perception when I'm teaching. Now, if you've never heard of it before, the VACOG model is a great place to start any kind of assessment of language. VACOG is an acronym for Visual, Auditory, Kinesthetic, Olfactory and Gustatory. Now, these are the senses of sight, sound, movement, balance, smell and taste. And they're the ways that people perceive the world around them. NLP refers to them as representational systems and depending on the context, different representational systems will be dominant at any point in time. If you can figure out which system is dominant and tailor your language to fit the dominant system, there's less processing for the listener to do so they'll understand you more rapidly. This seemed ridiculously straightforward and almost too easy when the idea was presented to me, and I was very sceptical about it. But the very first time out talking to someone in a coffee shop, I was totally sold. So use it, experiment with it. You'll start to notice that the way people talk about their experience is the way they experience the world. So someone who talks a lot in visual language will describe pictures and sights and they'll be looking at. Someone who's using auditory language will be hearing things, listening to, liking the sound of something. People who are more kinesthetic, which is balance and movement and touch, they'll be feeling things. They'll be touching something, reaching out for something, grasping the knowledge of something. The olfactory guys, they'll not like this. They'll say that something smells fishy or that the idea stinks. They'll be telling you all about the smell of their experience. And the gustatory guys, they'll be telling you about the taste of things. They might be a little bit bitter. They might say that something is sweet. But whichever system you notice being used, lean more heavily onto that system. And your messages will get across more quickly, more easily, and they'll be better understood by your listeners. 
because the language we use reflects their thoughts and our way of understanding the world. As a teacher, this is just incredibly helpful. So let's go. The visual system, let's get into the visual part of the representational systems. Start with visual because it's the most common thing I encounter day in, day out. We live in a predominantly visual society. We're surrounded by pictures and colours, we're presented with images, and it's important that things look right. So people who are using the visual system are telling you about what they're seeing. They'll use language, language like, uh, I can't see the benefit of that. That doesn't look right. They'll ask you, how does that look to you? I might say, picture this, or ask them to just focus on something. If I want to generate uncertainty, for instance, if a student is uncertain about trying something, I might suggest they blur the lines between right and wrong, and that black and white are not as sharply defined as they used to think. We're looking at the character of the image. So I'll ask them to imagine how it will look when they've played every day. I'll ask them to visualize taking the guitar out of the case or tell them to leave it out on a stand where they can see it so that it waves at them every time they walk past. If I've got a lot of resistance in the student, I might suggest that we look at it a different way. So if that is their leading representational system in the context of a lesson or a coaching session, I will use a lot of visually based language. I'm stepping into their process. So during an initial lesson, I might say something like this. You're going to see that what you used to believe about learn to play guitar is not the only way to look at things and that your own point of view will be different as you begin to see how things look from a position of more understanding and developing a clearer vision. Now that convoluted sentence is designed to open a loop and bias everything towards pictures. It's loaded with visual language. All their process and that I can make further suggestions. So listen for the visual cues inside of language because that's the most common thing you'll come across during your teaching day. Now the second most common is the auditory representational system. This is all about sound. It's all about noise and music. In a visual society, sounds are still important. They're important triggers and anchors to us. So you'll, I'll be listening out for language like, how does that sound to you? Or, I heard that you were a great teacher. I'll make statements such as, well, the data tells us that, because tell is a, an auditory word. And just yesterday, I heard about so if you listen closely, I'll talk you through it. That's a compound sentence with two auditory terms, listen and talk. I'm listening to you. I might suggest that they play as gentle as a whisper. Whisper is an auditory verb, word. 
I might ask them to speak up or speak freely or even voice their opinion. To ask the question, I'll ask them if that rings a bell. I suggest that everything operates in perfect harmony. That playing a wrong note is not a crashing defeat. As a tutor, you'd all hope to be doing a roaring trade. Or another fantastic auditory word. I might say that when I heard the song for the first time, it completely resonated with me. That's why I love it. And again, during the uh, lessons opening, I might say something like this to an auditory biased person. During our time together, you'll hear certain words that completely resonate with you. They'll sort of ring a bell in the back of your mind and perhaps even echo back and forth as you notice how much you've learned today. Again, stoked full of auditory language. And auditory is the second most common representational system in the context of guitar teaching. The third, which actually can switch quite easily to become the most dominant of the rep systems for guitar players, is the kinesthetic. Normally, it's a long way behind the visual and auditory systems, but with the instrument, there's an awful lot of touch data passing backwards and forwards. So kinesthetic, which is the sense of movement and feeling, can come to the fore. We'll often talk about guitarists having a great feel on the instrument. A wonderful phrase that was once given to me by one of my students, a young lad called Alex, was that when he played with immense gentleness, the notes fell out of his fingertips. And that was such a good phrase. I actually wrote that down. So kinesthetic language is all about feel and touch and movement. You can ask, well, how does that feel? You might suggest that they'll begin to feel understanding flowing over them. If at any point they have a question, then remember that that they can always touch base with you and reach out for you on the phone or email or text. And these are all touchy-feely kind of terms. I might say to my student that this is a hands-on lesson, so grab your guitar and then caress the guitar strings. Let your fingertips feel that they're snuggling up behind a fret. I might say that it's not important to play a blazing hot solo and it's okay to play cool sometimes because hot and cold are kinesthetic terms. They're touchy, feely kind of terms. I might suggest that today is the day we're going to kick ass with that difficult part that they've been struggling with. They might want to develop a smooth style or even hit me with a punchy rhythm. All kinesthetic language terms. So in a a more influential and semi-hypnotic opening conversation with a new student this time, it might go something like this. You might have felt apprehensive about your first guitar lesson, but now you know I don't bite. You can easily relax and start to feel comfortable as you notice the reassuring shape and the curves of your guitar 
shielding you and protecting you so that you can easily just caress the strings and notice how gentle you really can be. Are you in a trance yet? That's very kinesthetic language. Lots of suggestions, pace and lead embedded in there. Well, we, I'll do an episode on pace and lead at some point in time. It's a fantastic way of getting more influence through the students. So kinesthetic, for us guitar players and other instrumentalists, that can flip right to the top. Sometimes it's kinesthetic, then sound, then visuals is way down. But at the bottom of the stack, and very rare, are the last two senses, the last two representational systems. The O for olfactory and the G for gustatory. Now, olfactory, of this is pretty rare in a guitar teaching and coaching context. It's all about smells and perfumes and scents and things like that. I can't remember yet having a lesson where this was really at the top of the tree, but it often showed up in language like the sweet smell of success. Um, my plane stinks. <sighs> Every so often I get a whiff of knowing how to play and then it just vanishes. I keep my nose to the grindstone. Sometimes people will talk about picking up the trail again, trying to sniff out the right answers. So for someone with an unusual system like that, where that's prominent for them, I might suggest that they're like a bloodhound on the trail of the very best way to learn to play guitar. And despite sniffing around for years, they've lost the scent. But that's what's led them here. And it's so rare, I've kind of made that up on the spot. It's not a common experience for me to have to deal with olfactory lead players. And similarly, gustatory, the G in VACOG, this is all about taste. I've never met anybody with that as their dominant rep system in lessons. Perhaps if I were a gourmet, it would be different, or a chef. But as a guitar player, anything taste-related, which is gustatory, it just hasn't even blipped on the radar. I might use those metaphors occasionally if I'm talking about, say, a tasty riff, or chromatic notes, I often refer to them as spicy notes. We might say that a piece of music is bland, that someone is a red-hot player, that the sound of a particular instrument is sweet, maybe even that a riff is juicy, or that there is a fiery guitar solo. But gustatory is just... For me, it's off the wall. I hardly ever encounter it. So, if it were to pop up at any point in time, a, a sentence that I would use in a teaching concept, a sentence that I might use in a teaching context might go something like this. Now in this song, there's a really savoury riff played on the guitar. It's just a few simple notes. But there's a chromatic note there that doesn't fit the tonality of the chord it's played over. So it's like an unexpected chunk of red hot chilli in an otherwise bland meal. It burns your palate and it brings out the flavour of everything else, doesn't it? 
So olfactory, gustatory, gustatory. You're going to have the same problem saying that as I do. They're very, very unusual in a teaching context for me. But I think it's important to have them as part of the, the overall model. You'll spend most of your time visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. Focus on those three first because they're the biggest return on investment. Start to notice the way that people talk because that's the way they think. And when we can begin to tailor our own language to work more closely with their way of understanding the world, we'll have much more influence. And by using their preferred representational system, they're going to be able to absorb our information more easily because it's already in step with how they process the world. So they won't have to convert from, say, our auditory way of speaking to their visual way of speaking. Now, that's all well and groovy when you're one-to-one. -one, but if you're speaking to a group, you'll have to remember to mix probably the three most common rep systems, the visual, auditory, and kinesthetic and be prepared to make your point in more than one representational system. So, for example, you might find yourself asking, I know it sounds great to some of you. So, for everybody else, how does it look? What do you feel about that? Put your hands in the air. And you'll hear that being done by people who are presenting to groups all of the time. Good speakers know that. We should know that. Remember always that when we mismatch or we cross-represent things, it's harder for us to influence our student or client for the better. It also means that you can occasionally end up arguing. It goes something like this. No names on this one. It could be you, it could be people you know. But have you ever heard a conversation or an argument that goes like this, where she says, you just don't listen to me, do you? And his response is, I can't see why you're so upset about it. These two people are operating different representational systems. They don't have a lot of language rapport. But what would have happened if he'd said to her, you just don't listen to me? And his response was, please tell me why you're so upset about it. Would that have got a different response? Almost certainly he would, because he stepped into her way of thinking. He's recognised her way of seeing the world, or hearing the world, and has fallen into a more rapport state with her. So, guys, listen to the actual words that people use, and they'll tell you exactly how to speak to them in order to influence them. As tutors, teachers, and coaches... We're going to be leading them to the very best outcome for them. And it's a lot easier when we use their preferred mode of representing the world. Try it for yourself. Try it for a week. That's why I'm only doing the one part of the toolbox this week. Let me know how you get on with this. You'll be surprised. So try it for a week. And next week we'll be raiding the teaching language toolbox again. Because when you've used this, the VACOG model you'll probably start to wonder what else you could change with a word or two carefully placed. Cool. Right, that's my 10 cents worth about the VACO model. 
Let me know what caught your ear in this episode and what's useful. And let me know how you get on putting the ideas to work in your business. Just send anything at all to me. It's info at neilcamado.com. I'll see you next time where I'll be sorting through more of the multiple myths, mysteries and misunderstandings that we all face, separating the fact from the fiction, distilling it down to the bare bones so you'll learn exactly what to do to start, grow and love your tutoring business. Join me, Neil Camado, for the next fun-packed episode of the Tutor Podcast. Have a fabulous day. Get in touch with the Tutor Podcast via email or social media, and the Tutor Podcast team will be listening. Subscribe on iTunes, and you'll automatically get the latest episode directly sent to your device. And remember to share, rate, and review TTP so that we can help other people to start, grow, and love their tutoring businesses. 